Good morning, Grace. It's great to see everybody as you all are making your way to your seats, and uh, it's great to have everybody here gathered in person. I think those numbers continue to increase, and we want to welcome uh, all of you who are gathered uh, abroad as well. And I just want to wish all you fathers today a happy Father's Day. Um, it's been said that most fathers get beat up on Father's Day while all the mothers are praised on Mother's Day. So I don't want to, I want to beat anybody up, but um, I do want to encourage uh, you fathers uh, today. We have an incredible responsibility um, and opportunity before the Lord to lead our children um, before him. And this, uh, this past Friday, just a couple of days ago, um, I was getting ready to cut the grass. And I ran out of time, and I thought, I need to solicit the help of my perfectly capable uh, boys. i got a 15, 13, and 11-year-old uh, son. And um, so I got two of them to help me. One of them was headed to work, and I got two of them to help me. And um, one of them I took great uh, I went into great detail to show him what I wanted him to do when, when he was cutting the yard. I'm pretty particular about how the grass gets cut. And uh, I showed him just different things and um, about 25 minutes later I had gone to the backyard to uh, cut the grass and the riding lawnmower and over the noise of me cutting the grass I didn't want to cut the lawnmower off I heard my son yelling at me and I was kind of frustrated because I was cutting the grass right and in the in the midst of that I heard him yell thanks for showing me he said thanks for showing me and in that moment God reminded me uh, and really just in my heart just said are you showing him me are you showing him who I am? And um, this morning, First uh, John 3, 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And John then said, And that we are. And so the thought was, Am I showing my sons and my daughter as a father um, the great love that God has had for me through Jesus Christ? Am I telling him about it? Am I demonstrating it? Um, what an awesome responsibility we have as fathers. By God's grace, we can accomplish what God has set out for us to do as dads. And um, so this morning, we are here uh, gathered to worship our Heavenly Father. And I want to open this up in a word of prayer. All right, let's bow our heads. Father, we want to thank you um, for being our Heavenly Father. God, you are um, a tremendous Father, Lord, that has uh, sacrificed uh, it all, Lord, that we would have a relationship with you. And we want to thank you, Lord, for, for your son, Jesus, for what uh, you gave, what you're willing to give, that we might know you, Lord. And this morning, God, we uh, aim to, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray, Lord, that even now you would help us to do that. Thank you for Dr. Healy this morning coming and sharing your word with us. Lord, we pray that you bless him as he does so. And we pray that all we do would be honoring to you this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Good morning. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord this morning, and um, it's good to be here to be able to worship a great and, and awesome God, and who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for every one of us, and every person out there as well, and so we've come to worship this great God. I'd like to open up our time together with just uh, reading a, a, a passage of scripture as in Chronicles, First Chronicles. And it's, uh, the, the, the story or, or what's happening here is David is about to depart this earth. And if you remember, David wanted to build, build the Lord a house. 
And he wanted to do it very badly, but God said, no, David, you can't do it because you have blood on your hands. You cannot do that. But your son can. And so David set out, and, he, he, and so David thought, well, I might not be able to build a house, but I can come up with all the plans. And so he comes up with all the plans, and he's going to pass it on to Solomon, his son, to build, to build the, the temple. And, uh, but I would like to say that this is, before he departs here, he prays this prayer. Or this is part of the prayer that he prays. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in heaven and in heaven and in earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you, and we praise your glorious name. Let's do that this morning. Let's praise his glorious name. Let's all stand, and let's sing on that song, Great is the Lord, he is holy and just. this morning 
If you think about the, if you think about the one who created the heavens and the earth, <coughs> who created you and me, who created all of nature, of which we see him, he's, we are reminding of who he is through who he is, what he has created. He was the one who sent his own son to suffer and to die on a cross, to bear the suffering. The, in Isaiah 52, 53, it calls him a man of sorrows. Or another, another translation, a man of suffering, of great suffering. He's acquainted with grief. And we like to remind ourselves that this same Jesus, the suffering that he endured on the cross was for you and I. And um, we want to sing this song together, Man of Sorrows, Lamb of God. And we invite you to, as, as we sing through, go ahead and sing along with us when you pick it up. Because this is a great song, and we'll be singing it more in the future. But Man of Sorrows. Man of Sorrows, Oh. 
Jesus spent. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Oh, the blogged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul. Praise and honor is unto you this morning as we've gathered together in your name to give honor and glory and majesty to the one who created it all, to the one who owns it all, the one who loves it all. The one who gave his all for us, even though we're not deserving of it. And Lord, how can we say thanks for that? How can we come with the words that we have to even express our thanks and our gratitude to you for being the man of sorrows, for the suffering that you endured? Lord, we just come and to honor you and glorify you Lord because we don't understand we don't understand why you chose us God but we know that you have and we're so thankful for that so God we've come to worship you this morning Father I pray for Dr. Hughley as he brings the message that you have given to him this morning to pass on to us Lord that we can so appreciate all that you have done 
before us. Be with us now during this hour. These things we ask in your name. Amen. looking at a great host of fathers this morning. Happy Father's Day. My family put on a nice indig for me yesterday and I really felt important with all the nice things and the good food and so on that we enjoyed together. It was a great blessing to me. A while back when I was asked to speak this morning, I was reminded that today would be Father's Day. And I immediately began to think and to pray concerning what the Lord would have me to say this morning. And as I studied and thought and reflected upon what would be appropriate to share in the service this morning, I was directed to a particular passage of Scripture and also to the particular theme that I will be addressing this morning. I'm going to call it the perfect dad. All of us as fathers desire to be perfect, yet we admit that we have imperfections. And if we understand the scripture correctly, there are great many, great many imperfections that we continue to have. Why call it then the perfect dad? Hang on. Let's see what we can find out from the Word of God. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I wish to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. And in this portion of Scripture, we have the text from which I wish to speak. Come on in, Mickey. We love you. Glad to see you, my brother. The sinners row up here on the front, would you? <laughs> Mickey and I have been the best of buddies for so many years. I'm reading now from Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 43 and reading through verse 48. In this portion of God's Word we read, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Before we share a few introductory words, Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
We are thankful to you, Father, that we can be assembled here today to consider the holy truths of Scripture and to hopefully and prayerfully be responsive to the Spirit's probings and promptings in our hearts. We are ever a needy people, Father, and we have special needs that rise from time to time. We want to thank you for creating the family. And we thank you for dads and moms and children and grandchildren. But as we think upon fathers today, we pray that we'll have special blessings. We pray that by your grace, we can glorify the Son today and be responsive to the Spirit's probes and promptings in our hearts and lives. May the truth of God find lodging in our hearts according as we have need. We humbly pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. The perfect dad needs some introductory comments. I have a few memories I'd like to share with you and some inquiries. I'd like you to know from the word this morning that earthly fathers should model the Heavenly Father. My dad was tall like Harley. He had a crown of jet black curly hair that I wanted to be mine when I was a boy. But alas, I inherited genes with reference to what grows on my head, genes from my mother. My dad had enormous hands, thick and calloused, reflective of his years of iron work. He was never a great wage earner, but he worked very hard when work was available to him. Dad loved to dress up and go to town, especially on Saturday. We I lived in Phoenix City that was on the Georgia-Alabama border. And on Saturdays, Dad liked to go over to Columbus on the main street and stand in front of Silver's Dime Store in a nice suit and talk with all of his friends who came by. My dad loved to tease children and cause them to laugh and make fun in their presence. He called them chillin' in the Southern tradition. When I was a boy in grade school, my father used to give me a nickel every time I got a hundred on an exam or on a school assignment. Nickels were princely sums in that day, if you can believe. The nickel would buy an ice cream cone or Johnny Cakes at Miss Nellie's little neighborhood store. And sadly, it also would fit in the slot machines that were all over Phoenix City when I was a boy. Yes, I put nickels and dimes and other things in them from time to time until I learned better. My father gave me a weekly allowance when he had work, and it got up to $2 
in my early middle teens. Two dollars a week. That was enough to take my girlfriend to the movies and even buy a spinning wheel. Y'all don't know what those are, the younger jet set. But we golden oldies know what spinning wheels were here in Alabama. And those were happy days. Now, Dad wanted me to be an engineer or an architect. I'm not sure I would have made it. I don't view myself as being as smart as Barry. So in time, I became aware of the fact that God seemed to be calling me to ministry. And I consider it a marvel that God can speak to a young person and help them know, hey, I have something special for you to do. So in my middle teens, I began to feel called to ministry. And I told my dad, and my dad said, well, son, if that's what you are supposed to do, be the best that you can be. That was good advice. Now, my dad wasn't a Christian at the time, but he wished me well. And as I recall, my dad heard me preach once. Now, in time, I was led to go to Alaska. And in Alaska, I shopped around for something that I love to eat to this day called butter beans. And the Alaskans had, at that time hadn't awakened to the delight and beauty of having butter beans in their little supermarket. I wrote a letter to my dad and said, Dad, I can't find butter beans up here. It wasn't long before a whole case of butter beans came to Alaska. And believe you me, we had our fill of butter beans for several weeks thereafter. My dad wasn't a believer until he was in UAB hospital. And I had flown home from Alaska to be with him. And thanks to God, I heard him confess Christ on his deathbed. I flew back to Alaska and made arrangements for his care when he would get out of the hospital, but he died while I was flying back. What do you remember about your dad, your father? What do you recall? Was he an encourager to you in your education? Did he love your mother? Was he, is he a good disciplinarian? Did he take time with you? Did he try to answer your questions? Was he an influence for good with you, take you to church and Sunday school? My dad didn't. Did he watch over, does he watch over your wise use of the telephone, the computer, the movies, TV, your reading material? Did he check out your friends? I remember one of my little ladies had a date one evening. Young man came to the door. I didn't know him really well. And so I, I think I probably looked him over like a prosecuting attorney. And then when I shook hands with him, I made sure that it was a Samson grip. And later on, I was asked, Daddy, were you trying to scare my boyfriend? I said, yes, that's exactly what I was trying to do. 
I wanted him to have a wholesome fear of me because I wanted my daughter treated properly. What do you remember? Well, as you know, our focus is upon dads. And I especially want to draw inspiration from God the Father. Our message in a summary is that earthly fathers should model the heavenly father. And in hours of prayer and study, this is what the Lord laid on my heart for today. And I ran across a remarkable statement by one of the great scholars of the 20th century, Dr. Merrill F. Unger. For many years, that pious man was a godly senior professor of Bible and theology at Dallas Theological Seminary. I have many of his books. Here's what he said. The position and authority of the father as the head of the family It's expressly assumed and sanctioned in Scripture as a likeness of the Almighty over his creatures. Well, let's pursue this text. We find here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 48. It's going to unfold for us in three separate divisions. Therefore, You are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So look with me at the first point in our message today, and I have chosen to call it the problems to avoid. For when we look in the context, we get a clue to what Jesus had in mind when he said, Therefore, And I want to step through some of the things that Jesus had said in his Sermon on the Mount. And there's not time to talk about all the points that he raised in his message. But then he said, therefore be ye perfect. Now, understand that the text is gender neutral. So I'm inviting moms and girls in the second service moms and ladies, to listen in. It'll give you clues to how to pray for your husband, how to pray for the father of your children. And there might even be a few spiritual tidbits for you. Hang on. Let's observe what our Lord Jesus says in the Scripture. Going back to Matthew 5, 22, he had raised the issue of uncontrolled temperament. We sometimes use the word temper. When we're describing temper, we think of someone who's infuriated, someone who's outraged, someone who's rankled, someone who's irritated, picked, wrathful, and in other phrases that we don't need to repeat here. Now, we want to compare this with righteous indignation. I think many believers are having righteous indignation over what is happening in the country. Now, I'm not talking about peaceful demonstrations. I'm talking about the thieves that are breaking windows and going into places of business, stealing and setting places on fire. 
but even righteous indignation can rise to anger. Anger is what Cain first had in his heart, and it proceeded to an outright act of evil, murder. Cain killed his brother. Saul persecuted the church, and on and on. Not long ago, Julie had to go to the supermarket. It was a hot day, and Julie's part Eskimo. She just loves it cold, even freezing. The other day, I had my car, one of my cars worked on, and I had some additional Freon put in. I said, honey, that car is freezing. You'll love it. She couldn't wait to get in it and turn the air conditioning on. So Julie had to go out on a hot day. She didn't like that. She had to go to a parking lot that was difficult to find a place to park. She had to go into a building that was crowded and unpleasant. She bought what she wanted to buy, paid for it at the counter, came home, she was going through her list and what had been brought home, and she discovered that something was missing, two or three items. She looked at her list, the purchasing list, and she had paid for it, but it wasn't among the things she had bought. Well, with a little more effort, we could... You know, we could get on the edge of a stew here. And so I've got to go back out in the heat. I've got to go look in the parking place for a, par a place to park. And I've got to go back in that crowded supermarket, and I've got to go talk to somebody that I hope will listen to me and believe I'm an honest person. And she was. With a little more effort, she could have been on the verge of a stew. Don't tell her I told you that. But nonetheless, as she was going out the door, a budding young feminine theologian in our family named Bethy, she said, don't forget that you're a Christian. <laughs> Could anything be more profound? Don't forget that you are a Christian. God have mercy that we'll have a controlled temperament. And then Jesus in verse 27 of our past, of chapter 5 addressed the issue of immoral thoughts. Now, immoral thoughts are different from outright adultery. That was the thinking of the scribes and Pharisees and interpreters of the law. But Jesus said, but I say unto you that it's possible to commit adultery in your heart. When King David was out on his balcony and looked around, he saw Bathsheba in X-rated dress, or maybe I should say undress. And his lust proceeded to outright evil and adultery, adultery in his heart. This is one of the reasons why parents, grandparents do well to check up on what the kids are 
looking at on their phones. Aren't these phones, they're beyond me. They're, they're in another stratosphere. But they can punch the right buttons and get anything they want and answers to their questions. And we need to ask them, is Jesus pleased with what you're looking at on that phone, on that computer, the movies you see, and so on? Right now in our family prayer and worship time, we're reading through the book of Proverbs. There are many passages in Proverbs where Solomon warned his sons about the potentials of evil and sexual sins that were so easy and available in his time. He also addressed another issue, Matthew 5, 31. We call it impermanent marriage, permanency being the biblical norm. Now, I have conducted many weddings over the years. I love the phrase where it says, till death do us part. But all of us are aware that in spite of the best efforts, at times, things don't work out. One or the other demands to break up what should be permanent. And I'm sympathetic to that. I've faced that my own parents' divorce when I was a kid. And I've tried to save any number of marriages over the years and didn't work out. I have a dear relative right now who had lived with her husband, a professing Christian, for over 20 years and acted in church and two fine boys. And he took off for another woman with whom he continues to live and demanded a divorce. And it broke her heart. It's tough. And I'm sympathetic to that. I understand that. I remember reading about Billy Graham's daughter and hearing her testimony at Billy's funeral, Ruth, how that she was in a marriage and Within a few hours, she realized that it was bad news. So sometimes, one or the other partner turns out to be a can of worms, and it doesn't work out. Jesus also, in the context that led him to the word therefore, would come to another. And it's what can be called flippant swearing. In Matthew 5.34, he comments on the taking of oaths. Now, let me attempt to clarify something. Contrary to the opinions of many, the Bible does not forbid the saint from taking an oath. What Jesus here was addressing was flippant swearing as if someone was making some kind of, uh, conveying some kind of an information and just adds to add strength to it. Well, I swear. When the Bible teaches, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Even God Almighty, according to Hebrews chapter 4, 13 through 18, he swore to Abraham that Abraham would have descendants like the sands of the sea, the stars of the heavens. 
And King David, he swore that a special king would come from among his descendants. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 30, when Peter was speaking, he alluded to the fact that God had made that promise and swore that from among the descendants of King David there would be a special king. And Peter told his audience that king is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. A king would be coming. So it's not an oath. Let's look at another. Getting even. Getting even. Not recalling that vengeance is mine. I'll repay, saith the Lord. How do you think the Russian Christians might feel? I've been to Russia on a missions trip. One of the dear pastors in whose home I had two meals had been in prison twice. When Mao Zedong came to power in China, churches were taken over. Many believers went to prison and some were executed. Muslim extremists in Iraq beheaded many believers, cut their heads off. Boko Haram, a Muslim extremist group in Nigeria, kidnapped 300-plus Christian girls and took them for their own immoral purpose. What do we do in the face of mistreatment? Now, understand, in a country like ours, there are law courts where abuses and mistreatments can be taken into law court. But trust me, mistreatment will come your way if it hasn't already. It may come from a family member a business partner, an employer, an employee, even a customer if you're in business, a government official, a schoolmate, even a parent, God forbid. The scripture tells us rather than trying to get even, we should love our enemies and do good than despitefully use you. America's not perfect. But some of us can remember after World War II, what did our country do? We did our best to help our defeated Germany get back on its feet. We did our best to help our defeated Japan get back on its feet. In Italy and France, it had been affected by the war and other countries. That's a nice trait about our country of doing good to those that had despitefully used them. I remember hearing a Christian leader speak about a neighbor he once had. The neighbor didn't like him. A lady who lived alone, 
She didn't want to hear anything about his Jesus. One occasion, she became very ill. Her grass was growing. He got out his lawnmower, went over in her yard and began to cut the grass. And, of course, she heard the mower sound. And she came to the door. She said to him, what are you doing? I don't even like you. He kept right on cutting the grass and cut it. What happened? His gracious Christian testimony was instrumental in her dying in faith. You love your enemies. You do good to them that despitefully use you. The passage also talks about love, but I'll come back to that. Now, having looked at the problems to avoid, I want you to look secondly with me at the perfection to achieve. What does my passage say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48? You are to be perfect. And that's what it means. It's a Greek word, teleos. And it literally means you are to be perfect. Now, over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, you might turn to that portion of Scripture with me. There are a couple of passages I want to bring to your attention in Colossians. So look with me at them, and let's see what they have to say. In Colossians 1:28, we read Paul's writings. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete, perfect in Christ Jesus. What's the emphasis? God wants dads to be maturing up until the end of our days. And several times in preparing this message, I've asked myself the question, Lord, are there things in my life that need to be edited in my fatherhood? He's after mature saints. And how did he do it? Well, it talks about admonishing, counseling. We talk to our kids, regardless of their age. We convey information to them from the Scripture. We teach them. We try to get them to be adherent to the word of Christ. And also over in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, look at that portion of Scripture with me. In that part of God's word, we read of one of Paul's assistant helpers, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. She may stand perfect, fully assured in all the will of God. We do well to pray for fathers we know, and we do well to pray in reference to ourselves being fathers. 
And what was the emphasis of Epaphras? From his labors and his prayers that you may stand perfect, tilios, spiritually mature in Christ Jesus. The perfect dad, according to Scripture, is one that is growing and trying to develop. Do we reach perfection in this life? No. Do we become totally sinful or sinless in this life? No. But we ought to be growing in Christ. So the passages mean, when we read of perfection, the passages mean that we are spiritually mature and that we are growing. Now, why did Jesus say, tell us, perfect? because he so wanted the saints to grow. And like I said, this is general neutral, and though we're talking about dead, this includes all of us who know the Lord as our Savior. Let me attempt to explain this. What is this all about? The meaning experience. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul exhorts his readers to give their bodies to the Lord and to give their minds to the Lord. Bodies as instruments of righteousness, our minds in developing a biblical worldview. How important it is that we be growing and experience that. And over in Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. The passage talks about even straining, pressing onward, pressing forward. And the imagery is of a learner who is weakening in his effort, but he strains to keep going. And we must do that. And the Lord will supply the strength and the help and the wisdom. One of the finest Christian men I've ever been privileged to know was Dr. Leon Gillespie, longtime professor at Southeastern Bible College. Two of the greatest honors of my life were conducting his wife's funeral and then conducting his funeral. As I poured over what I might say appropriately, at his funeral. I was led to the catalog of David's mighty men and what David said about them. And I was particularly struck with what he said about Eliezer in 2 Samuel 23. After he had described all the exploits of his warriors in fighting the Philistines and others, he said, of Eliezer, his hand clave to the sword. And Leon Gillespie's hand clave to the sword of the Spirit. In his personal life, in his family life, in his ministry life. 
And I thank God for his influence and testimony in my own personal life. The meaning experience. Over in James chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and you might jot that down if you want, but this is a passage talking about the perfect man, and the perfect man bridles his tongue. If you want to be the perfect man, you have to control your tongue. And what is it talking about here in the spiritual maturity? John MacArthur says about this passage, most likely perfect is describing those who are spiritually mature and able to control their tongue indeed. A father delights to see his children mature. And he delights to see his relatives mature. And he is pleased when, by the grace of God, he can be used to help inspire and motivate spiritual maturity. Now, we've looked at the problems to avoid. We've reviewed the perfection to achieve. And we're working on that. In the third division of our passage, I want you to think with me about the pattern to apply. For what did Jesus add in the latter part of the verse? As your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, what did Jesus have in mind? I know from the context that he did not have the legalism of the scribes and the Pharisees in mind. They like to pray to be seen. They like to achieve seats in the banquets. They like to give special attention to the holy days of Judaism. He was talking about that. He had in mind what Isaiah had said. He said of the worshipers of his day, all they did was make footsteps in the temple. There was no worship. They made offerings, but not with heart. They observed, observed special days, but no meaning. Legalism. Paul addresses legalism in the Scripture. You might jot down Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, 16 and 18. What was happening at Colossae? There were some traditions that were emerging. There were people who were claiming to have special visions. And they were developing cult-like qualities. Earlier versions of a modern or more modern-day Joseph Smith. There are millions of people around the world that believe that that phony, that phony had a special vision from God. And he got the Book of Mormon from God himself. Legalism. Human tradition elemental spirits of the world, even worship of angels was surfacing in that city. 
It was like Luther. When Luther saw the sale of indulgence, his heart was incensed, and he wanted to open up a debate. And one of the greatest spiritual revolutions in history took place after the time of Luther. We've had forms of legalism in our own country. Some of the earlier Christians of the 20th century thought that uh, the ladies had to wear special long dresses and have a bun in the back of their hair. I remember a Pentecostal preacher being open and saying, Honey, it's not that bun in your hair that makes you holy. <laughs> and how true he was. How true he was. I've been up in the Amish community, and I've been in deeply Mennonite com com places. And uh, my, some of our Amish friends, they won't ride in the car. That's worldly. Some of the Mennonite people will ride in the car, but they don't want shiny bumpers. The Mennonites that ride in a car with shiny bumpers are called shiny bumper Mennonites. And I mean no harm. I have wonderful believing friends of the Mennonite tradition, and I work with several as a missionary in Alaska. Did you know that when radio was first beginning to be there were preachers that stood against it why well it sends out signals in the air and that's where the prince of the power of the air abides and it was a while before they awakened to the legalism yes i grew up in a christian tradition where movies were just outright wicked we didn't go to the show. It was considered worldly. And the reasoning was, well, Hollywood's got all those wicked people, and why should we support Hollywood? I confess at a later time, I came, I think, to a more broadened view. Yeah, I've been to several movies since, and I didn't even feel any more wicked than I did when I went in when I came out it's just like so many things yeah there are films I wouldn't go to see for sure television programs I wouldn't watch I remember when I was a teenager and in our youth group dancing with a girl that was just about the most wicked thing a boy could do and how how erratic we were we could go to the skating arena put our arms around the little sweetie and hold her hand and sway back and forth as we glided around. No difference. No difference. Dancing can be done tastefully and so on. But we were bound by legalism, and God had mercy on us anyway. So not legalism. Jesus made reference to that in chapter 5, verse 20, but Spiritual maturity was what he had in mind. For we read in 2 Peter 3.18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Godly perfection as your Father in heaven is perfect. This begins with salvation. We're made saints 
at the time we confess Christ as Savior. And I hope all of you here have asked Christ to be your Savior. This godliness continues with what we can call progressive sanctification. As we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, we become more Christ-like. And it will be completed at our glorification. How thrilling it is to anticipate. So it begins. And it continues. And we grow in that grace and knowledge of Christ. Well, these are references to the patterns to apply. I must bring this word to a conclusion. Think with me now. Remember that earthly fathers are to model the heavenly father. As he said, as your father in heaven is perfect. Let me ask a question or two as we draw the sermon to a close. What do I need to do? Well, you might need to confess something to God. Remember, he will forgive. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You may be aware of some oversights in your fatherhood and mine. Confess it to the Lord. You may have to confess something to a family member. My oldest son will be here at the second service today and the rest of my family. But I remember when he was a little boy, a conflict had arose between him, him and his two sisters. And I paddled him prematurely, only to discover that his sisters were the greater offenders. And I had to go to him and say, Son, I'm sorry, Daddy made a mistake. Would you forgive me? What do I need to do? Confession may be helpful. Well, how can I get it all started, this maturity thing? How can I promote it and get it to move along? May I suggest spending time with the Lord in prayer? Switch on the next one, brethren. In the scripture we read, that we do well to spend time in prayer, even as our Lord Jesus did. Very early in my Christian life, I learned that I needed to spend time privately in prayer. So I found it helpful to get up earlier in the morning to spend time in prayer and in the Word. Now, I don't quite have the stamina and strength but to get up those early hours, but I... I tenaciously look for a time to pray along with God and to read his word and let it stimulate and to meditate upon its truths and minister to my needs. I recommend getting along. I recommend, if you don't, pray with the family and you'll have to fight for time tenaciously because 
There's so many scheduled conflicts in the modern family. So, a prayer time, a prayer list, time in the Word. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen one of these days. You and I are going to appear. Now, I'm holding out for the kernel of truth in what I'm about to say, but I'm, I'm going to doctor it up just a little bit. The judgment seat. Now, I don't have chapter and verse for the specifics of all that I'm going to say. But can you imagine the judgment seat of Christ? Standing there, you don't have a defense attorney. You're standing there alone. Can't you imagine my distinguished brother, Kevin? And he appears. And Jesus said, uh, Gabriel, would you give me Mr. Barnett's file? Mr. Barnett, Lord? Yes. Mr. Barnett, Kevin Barnett. And the books are open. And Kevin and all of us will stand there and we'll give an account. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Two of the great Christian scholars, recently, Robert Zacharias, went to be with Jesus. Here's what I discovered in one of his books. The study of God is the highest science, the loftiest pursuit, the mightiest discipline. Its rewards are measurable. And A.W. Tozer, many of you may not know who he was. He was a great and godly saint of a generation ago, a deeply holy man. He said, it is well that we accept the truth now. The man who would know God must give time to him. Remember, earthly fathers should model the heavenly father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray your blessings upon its truths that they will be applied to our hearts according as we have need. And for your great and distinguished glory, we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Hughley. As we uh, close the service today, let's just, uh, let's just lift up the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's all stand as we sing, I Lift Your Name.
him because of who he is. He's our comforter and our king. It's good to see all of you today. I would like to remind you as we leave today. Now, we have a reason for the way we're having to do things. We're still under uh, a phase in the state here about um, about distancing ourselves and things like that. And uh, the, the, I just want to remind you that the committee had to come up with a plan of how we're doing things. So we just ask you, please, to, uh, when you leave here, if you'd go out these two um, uh, doors here and go out the, the exit out this way, please. There's a reason why we're trying to keep people from going out that way because we have other people coming in, okay? So if you just do that, and in the profound words of our, the theologian that was revealed to us today, Bethy, uh, remember, we are Christians, okay? And that's what we're trying. We're trying to be a good example and a good witness here. So if you would do that, we'd appreciate it. You have a good day. Happy Father's Day, everyone.